I'm sure that some of you wonder as you look at the clock, now how's he going to get this sermon done? So thus, uh, last week's part one, this week's part two, hopefully we won't have part three. Uh, but you know, one of the reasons uh, I, I'm encouraged, a lot goes on on Sunday mornings here at Redeemer because I think the Word of God and the Gospel is creating life, is creating things. And therefore we have a lot going on. Now if you're visiting, we've been looking at the book of Mark And uh, we especially began to look at a topic that is very, very important, and it is the topic that deals with what maybe you've heard as the unpardonable sin. It's a very important topic because Jesus addresses this topic, but it's also an important topic because I think sometimes those who wrestle with maybe have committed this sin are the ones who need to be comforted by the gospel, and those who don't think they've committed this sin are very well maybe nigh on their way to sinning that sin. And so uh, if you would, this is God's word. Turn to Mark chapter uh, 3. And let me read the text and then we'll get going here. Verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. And he called to them, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But the coming, the coming of an end... But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first bind the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins may be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they came to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the word of God. We thank you that you have spoken to us, and we have it in black and white, and it's more than just what we experience or what we feel, for often our feelings misdirect us, sometimes securing us when we shouldn't feel so secure, and sometimes condemning us when we are not condemned. And so we thank you for your word, and that it's objective, it points us to Christ, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes it subjective, who makes it part of our lives. And I pray for any who are here today, uh, Lord, um, whose uh, hearts uh, really question uh, the realities of the gospel, Lord, that you would especially work in them, that they would move away from unbelief and come to Christ and see the hope that is in him, the forgiveness of sins. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. It kind of brings us back up to speed. Remember last week we talked about... uh, Mario Mendoza. And if you weren't here, what we said about Mario Mendoza was he was a baseball player who 
batted about 200. And uh, it became known as the Mendoza line. That if you're a professional baseball player and you're batting around 200, chances are you were not going to be invited back to spring practice. So you're going to stay above the Mendoza line. And what we said is there are a lot of lines that you don't want to cross, right? There's some of you are struggling in your marriage because you've crossed certain lines. They're, they're hard to kind of get back over that line. And God is gracious, but we have scarrings and things like that. And there's certain lines you can't cross in business or in finances. There, there's a point where you move toward... Uh, uh, all, all sorts of things where you cross lines. But, but the line that, that you need to be the most concerned about is the line that Jesus speaks of here, and that is what I would call the spiritual Mendoza line. And that is the line that Jesus speaks of here is when you sin against the Holy Spirit, or as he calls it, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you why I think this is an important topic. And again, if you're not a Christian, I want this to be an encouragement to you. And if you are a Christian, I want this to be an encouragement to you. But we have to look at what he says. And what he says in verse 29 is very clear that whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, he says, never has forgiveness of sins. And then he goes on to say, but is guilty of an eternal sin. In other words, you don't just die and you die like a dog and that's it. It's over with. But the very reason that Christ comes into this world, God in the flesh, to redeem us is because our souls, our lives matter not only in this world, but in the world to come. I mean, the ultimate question is where are you going to be a hundred years from now? Because it's coming. And Jesus is saying to everyone in this room, because you're here, you do not want to cross the spiritual Mendoza line of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say right up front, and I'm going to make this point here in a minute in the first point. If you've wondered if you've crossed it and you're nervous about it, you haven't. If you're going, wow, maybe I've, maybe I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit and there's no hope for me because I struggle with homosexual sin, I struggle with pornography, or I struggle with, uh, with the, the fact that I've been a bad father, or I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a drug addict, or I, whatever it may be. That is not what he's talking about. Who, you, who really needs to be addressed this morning are those who are hardening their hearts in unbelief of who Jesus Christ really is and what he can do for your life. So, so remember the three points I gave last week and I kind of got uh, kind of halfway through a half of a point of a point one? <laughs> well, I'm going to try to get through all three today. But remember the points were this. What, what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not? I want you to understand what it's not. Because the last people I want struggling are those who shouldn't be struggling because of a a guilty conscience or whatever it may be. Secondly, I want to look at what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. And if a shoe begins to fit your foot, you're moving toward the Mendoza line of no longer coming back. And then finally, I want to uh, give an exhortation, a call to come to Jesus Christ For the Bible over and over again is saying today is the day of your salvation. And I don't care if you've grown up in a Reformed church, Presbyterian church. I don't care how you've grown up. Maybe today you'll hear the Holy Spirit call you to himself and to Jesus Christ. So here's the first thing to see is this. What the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not. What it is not. And this is very important. 
Notice, last week we looked at these two verses together. Notice what he says in verse 28 there in your text. Notice what he says in the text, right there in front of you, you see. Truly I say to you, all sin will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. Okay, there you have it. All sins can be forgiven. And not only all sins, but blasphemes. To understand what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not, or what we call the uh, unpardonable sin, it would actually be good to know what the word means, right? You ever hear that word, blaspheme? We don't exactly say, Bob, you're a blasphemer. <laughs> Has anybody ever said that to you? Or, uh, you know, Betty, I'm, I'm concerned that you, uh, you blaspheme. Just, right, well, don't say that, do we? So you go, oh, yeah, okay, I don't know, blaspheming, whatever that means. Well, let me explain what the word means to get out of the realm of the religious. To get in the realm of where you are as modern man, whether you're from another country or from a different culture, whatever it may be. Here's what the Greek word means. It means to speak harm. In the biblical context, blasphemy is an attitude of disrespect that finds expressions in an act directed against the character of God. Now, obviously the question is, well, what God are we talking about? We're talking about the God of the Bible who says, I am that I am. Not the God of your imagination. Not the gods that are made out there. But the God who has revealed himself in the scripture and ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. Blasphemy means this, the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God, irreverence towards something considered sacred. Synonyms would be impiety, irreverence. To consider something that's uh, wholly profane, to be sacrilegious. Now, to really understand what this word means is the opposite, the anonym of that word in the Greek is adoration. To adore God. To glorify God. To worship God. That you give yourself and your being to God because you believe what he says about himself. You believe what Jesus Christ says about himself to the point that that's beginning to penetrate in your life because you've rested in Jesus Christ. Now you see, for you who wrestle with the fact, well, I don't know, maybe I've committed the unpardonable sin. It's not talking about you. It's not talking about you who go, well, I have had blasphemous thoughts. Well, who hasn't? All blasphemes are forgiven. And all sins are forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And if you're concerned about the fact that you've that maybe I've committed the unpardonable sin, it's not referring to you. It is referring to those who I'll get to later whose hearts are hardened and don't really believe this anymore. Now we'll talk about that Mendoza line here in a minute. But I'm here, I want to comfort you who are great sinners. If what Jesus is saying here is all sin, you know what it means by all sin? You know what all sin means, pontos in the Greek? It means all sin. What kind of sins? Well, maybe you're a pornographer. And you can't get over pornography. And you're just hooked into pornography. 
And you're going, well, maybe I've just been given over to pornography. Oh, let me tell you, all sin. Pornographers, can pornographers be converted? Of course. Perhaps Perhaps you're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict or perhaps you've abused your family and you screwed your family. You screwed your marriage up. You've messed it up. And you know that. And you're willing to go. I'm tired of justifying myself. I am a sinner before God. Oh, let me tell you, there is no sin. That's not forgivable. Perhaps you're a woman who's here and you've had an abortion. And uh, you go, well, there's no hope for me. I, have, I, have, uh, my, I, I know now what I've done. Oh, yes, let me tell you, there's great hope for you. Because you see, the Bible was written two-thirds, and we've talked about this, of those who've taken life. Moses... David and Saul, or Paul. Two-thirds of the Bible. How about that? So there is forgiveness for murderers. Uh, My son, my youngest son, Jack, is a a senior at Furman, and he's doing a a chaplaincy at a a maximum security prison. So, of course, every Thursday uh, when he's supposed to be out of the prison, uh, Mary Beth's like, hey, Jack, are you out of... (laughs) Are you doing okay? But... He's, he's, he's with some really, really hardened uh, uh, criminals. And matter of fact, he said, Dad, what's really amazing is some of the most hardened criminals are those who haven't murdered. And some of the most softest, kindest, tenderest people are those who are murderers who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they can walk right out of that prison. And they know they'll never get out of that prison. He's with people they'll never get out of. They'll never they'll be in that prison the rest of their life. But they've been converted. He says, I'm convinced they could walk right out and they could be ministers of the gospel. So that's not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. God is good and he is gracious and he is merciful to you. If you're repentant. And in fact, probably the sins that most of us have to repent of are not those sins, but our righteousness. And and I will not. I will not respond to my spouse. Or I will not engage my spouse. Or this brother or sister in Christ. That's the sin that needs to be feared. But here's the second thing to see is this. We see what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not. So, So you understand that if you're struggling... With the fact that I'm not what I should be. Maybe I've sinned a sin. No, it's not you. Now, do you have unbelief working out there in your head? Of course. Are you so proud that you think God can't forgive you? Yeah, your sin is not that he can't forgive you. Your sin is pride. Like Jesus' blood and death and resurrection can't overcome that. Right? But now we have to start looking at what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Because this is, this is a pretty kind of a, you know, this is pretty serious. All blasphemes. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit is guilty of an eternal sin and will never be forgiven. So you need to understand what Jesus is saying. Now again, you'll notice he's warning not those have messed our lives up. He's actually warning religious people. 
Now, to really appreciate what Jesus is saying here, you need to know who he's talking to. Here's what's happening. Notice this chapter 3 early, like in the ministry of Jesus. But he's doing some amazing things like healing the sick. And, he, and he's saying some amazing things like, uh, you know, uh, your sins are forgiven. Well, who can forgive sins but God? And so uh, he's way up here in uh, Nazareth, Capernaum area. And then here come the religious leaders uh, from down here in Jerusalem. And they want to check this out. But let me tell you what. They've already made their minds up. They're, they're not there to go, well, let's consider this. Let's really think about what's going on here. Wow, this, this is amazing stuff. No, they're coming already with their minds made up. Why? Because they have perverted the gospel of the Old Testament. And what is the gospel of the Old Testament? You don't go back to Moses. That's where they went. They went to the law. Do you know where the gospel really begins in the Old Testament? Really, Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> But if you come out to Genesis chapter 12, you remember how God called Abraham who is an idolater because everybody had abandoned the faith. But God made a promise to, to, uh, to, to Adam that through your seed uh, that there will be a coming Messiah. So Adam, Abraham comes and God makes a promise to him through your seed all nations will be blessed. And guess what they did? They perverted it and they made it all about Israel in keeping the Ten Commandments. Now so what's this got to do with anything? Well, let me tell you, especially because, because this, this is going to begin to deal with you who are like part of the Sanhedrin. You say, well, I'm not a religious person. Well, you might not be a, a, a religious person, but the fact is really everybody is because you say uh, your religion is your opinion. And so if you're coming to this morning and you're going, well, I just don't know if I buy this Jesus stuff then you're slipping toward the Mendoza line. Because you see, if you don't say that God is good in Jesus Christ, then what will you say is good? And what you do is you begin to attribute evil to Jesus himself because you're saying, well, you know, if that's true, I mean, if Jesus Christ is uh, the Son of God, I mean, why did the fall happen in the first place? Why is there sin and evil in the first place? Why is there suffering in the world in the first place? And maybe you would never say that out loud, you see. But down deep in your heart, you begin to question the very goodness of God. And you say, well, I believe, but I'm not sure. But, there, but, there, but I'm talking even lower than that. I'm not talking about Christians who struggle with doubts. That's, you know, that, that goes with his territory. I am talking about some of you this morning who've walked in this, in this uh, room this morning, and you're either here because you have to be, because of a baptism or a family member joined, I don't know who you might be, but you're here and you're going, I don't believe this. Now, how does Jesus respond to these uh, Sadducees? And by the way, <clears throat> the problem they had was that he was doing amazing things. Right? They come down. They're not looking at all he's been doing, but they know that Christ has been healing the sick. That he has, he has been casting out demons I mean, this is an important event in the history of the world that before Christ came, Satan had everybody deceived, the nations. Do you understand that? But the king has come. And amazing things are happening. They cannot argue against that. So what is their argument? Well, the reason you do what you do is because you are the son of Beelzebul. You're possessed by Beelzebul. Now let me tell you what Beelzebul means in the Aramaic. 
It was the word that became known for Satan. And again, which, by the way, if you're not a Christian and you're a secular person, what do you do about evil in the world? Right? I mean, there is evil in the world. How do you explain evil in the world? But here's what they did. They said that Jesus is the prince of Beelzebul, and in the Aramaic, it means the prince of dung. The prince of filth. That's what they're saying about God in the flesh. And maybe you'd say, well, I I don't really, I would never say that. But perhaps that's your heart's attitude. And so I want to look at Jesus' response and then his warning, and then I want to close. What is his response? Jesus' response to this accusation. And the way he responds is completely logical. Which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with logic until it overcomes faith. But logic should lead you right up to, wow, I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ, to be quite honest with you, if you use your logic. But Jesus says, how can a house divided stand? How would say, how can, how, why would Satan want to cast out demons? And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. It's just amazing sense. But then he gives a parable, right? You see, he calls them to himself and he gives a parable. And here's the parable that he gives them that if you're closing in on the Mendoza line, you need to be real careful. He tells them this parable about a, 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 if you're going to go uh, still take stuff from a guy's house, you bind the strong man and then you go in and you take the things. Well, Jesus is saying, here's what's really happened. Satan, he's been the strong man. And he's captured all the stuff and it's in his house. You know who who that house is? The things in that house? That's you. That think you're objective and you know what reality is and you have all the intellectual abilities. Which, by the way, again, I I would love to talk to you if you go, I have intellectual questions about Christianity. I will prove to you, I think I can, that they're not intellectual. Ultimately, this is kind of a personal thing between you and Jesus Christ. It really is. But he says, but I have come. I have bound Satan and I am setting the captives free. And at that point, Jesus warns the religious people. He warns you this morning who are going, I don't really know if I believe this or not. He warns you that everything that you need to know about me and everything you need to know about my Father in heaven, everything you need to know about how to be saved and how to have eternal life, how to escape the judgment that will come, I'm telling you, is in that book. And to, 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 to go, well, I don't really know about this. Jesus, I don't think, is saying, you've already committed. I don't think he's saying that to them. I think he lovingly is warning those people Don't go below that Mendoza line and reject who I am. Let me tell you, there's three things you can do with the Spirit. Two of them are what Christians do. And one of them is what unbelievers do who are reprobates. Christians can grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us twice not to grieve the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30 he says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, stamped, not coming off until the day of your redemption. And then he tells you how you grieve the Holy Spirit, Christian. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You know what that means? That some of you really are mean. You're mean to your spouses. You're mean to people. But what it's saying is, you're still. But stop it. Be kind to each other. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be mean. Don't be hard-hearted. I feel like I grieve the Spirit often. Sometimes I think I'm harsh to my wife or my kids. You ever feel like you're harsh and you're like, what? what in the world? And what do you need to do? Please forgive me. Honey, I'm sorry I hurt you. She's like, you sure did. But so we grieve the Spirit and then we quench the Spirit. And uh, for sake of time, let me tell you what I think quenching the Spirit is. And you find that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Christians can quench the Spirit. Here's the way it works. Okay, God's at work in somebody's life. And you have a great opportunity to begin to kind of push it a little bit. Get them to think about what's going on in their lives. And you kill the Spirit because you just ignore this topic. (laughs) Just let them go right on headlong into sin. You don't talk to them about Jesus Christ. I mean, that's quenching the Spirit. But hey, can you not talk to a soul about Jesus Christ and not really care whether people know Jesus or Christ and be saved? Of course you can because all sins, even not caring about the lost. Can that sin be forgiven? Of course it can. But that's not what he was talking about here. He is talking about sinning and blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Basically, here's what this sin, this sin is. Kent Hughes says this, simply put, it is the ongoing, continual rejection of the Holy Spirit to the divinity and saviorhood of Jesus Christ. You see, when you when you just kind of get in a position like that and you're moving further and further in that way, maybe you kind of used to be reformed or you used to love the gospel, but you're beginning to go, yeah, Christians have messed me over. I don't think real Christians are that serious about their faith. And you keep moving away and you keep moving away. And then eventually you go, you know what? Christianity's not true. You know what you're saying about Jesus Christ and his work and his atonement and everything that he's done? You're basically saying it's nothing. It's worse than nothing. And that, my friends, is the Mendoza line. So what is my encouragement to you? My encouragement to you this morning is to call upon the Lord while you might be saved. You know, I often wonder how people hear me. I've got five older brothers, and I'm going to be with them in a couple weeks, and I always, uh, I always wonder how they would hear a sermon. And the reason is not all of them are believers. And so I often wonder, you know, you've brought a friend here to church. It'd be like me bringing my brothers to a church I've never been to before. And, and I'm kind of going, man, I wonder how they're hearing this. And, you know, I wish I could, I wish I could go, hey, let's, uh, let's kind of wind this thing all up and let's, uh, let's put a poem out here. <laughs> but today might be the day of your salvation. So I always tell you, don't miss church because that might be the day Jesus shows up and the Spirit pours out and you're not there. Why do you not think that way? Why do you not sometimes consider and have any fear of God? When our small group last week, one of the gals in our church said, the Bible says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, it is. And you know, if you have no fear of God, basically you don't think that you're like somebody that needs the blood of God 
covering you. And I'd encourage you this morning to repent of your sin and believe. I close with this uh, story about Dennis the Menace. I know you're like, well, okay, now you're going to end with Dennis the Menace. And uh, it's just a, a joke I heard the other day, and it was, uh, I can't remember where it was. And it goes like this. I, I can't find it in my notes, but here it goes like this. Dennis has a friend named Joey, right? And so the picture is Ms. Wilson. You remember how sweet Ms. Wilson was and how terrible Dennis and Joey were? Well, they're walking out of the house, and they got a whole mess of cookies in their hand. And so Joey turns to Dennis and says, What did we do to deserve this? And Dennis looks at Joey and says, Joey, we didn't get the cookies because we're nice. We got them because Ms. Wilson is nice. (laughs) It is only the goodness and kindness of God that will break your crusty heart. The wrath of God's coming, trust me. But when you begin to see that He is kind and he's good and he's the gracious God who sent his son to shed his blood. There's great, great hope. Have you repented of your sin and been broken by that? Then ask God to have mercy upon you as we come to the Lord's table. And we're going to give you instruction, but don't come to the Lord's table if you're you're not going, Lord Jesus, I need you. Jeff will say more about that. So we need to close. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. Your mercies are new every day. Lord Jesus, I thank you that every day, I I know I do not love you as I should, but I thank you that Jesus did for 33 years. And he took my lack of love today and every day that I'll ever live, and he loved you perfectly, and then he was crucified for my sins. Father, would you take unbelieving hearts this morning, and would you have mercy upon them that people would not slip below that Mendoza line and harden their hearts against you. And Father, for those who are wrestling with, with, with whether they've committed this sin, Lord, would you give them comfort? Would you just cause them to know that you love them and you care for them? And all sin and all blasphemies will be forgiven. For we have been sealed to the day of our redemption by the Holy Spirit. And we ask it in your name. Amen.